0: You're listening to Creative Paths with Contact, the podcast where we step off the beaten track to explore the ups and downs of being a creative. We're your hosts, Sam Cole and Laura Chova, and throughout this journey, people that inspire us will be letting us into their worlds to share their unique stories and experiences. Hello and welcome to Episode 5 of Creative Paths. Today's guest, Pippa Lamb, joins us with a unique perspective on the creative industry, providing us with an opportunity to look at the drivers of our ever-growing creator economy, Working as a partner at Sweet Capital, Pippa's background and experience has seen her working alongside a range of broad-based consumer, internet and software companies that are at the forefront of the next generation of social communities. So I wanted to start things off by just getting a better understanding of what it is uh, exactly that you do uh, in your current position at Sweet Capital and the steps you took to get there.
1: Sure. So I, I guess start with the end. I am a venture capital investor at a fund called Sweet Capital, which is an early stage investment fund that invests in the next generation of early stage entrepreneurs. And how I got there, I'd say it's, first of all, it's really interesting to be chatting with a creatives podcast because I actually spent most of my early life wanting to be a creative. You know, doing everything very specifically around more of an artistic upbringing. My dad's an entrepreneur and inventor, but also, you know, an incredible painter and artist himself. When he was younger, he was almost recruited into some Russian academy for, for painters. He was he was born, <laughs> oh, wow. in, born in Shanghai, and obviously, my grandmother was like, absolutely no way. But you know, really artistic side of my family. You know, painters, musicians. Got two sisters. One's a pastry chef. The other's an architect. And my parents met in an orchestra. So I actually, <gasps> grow- yeah. So so growing up, I always dreamt of being a designer, be it graphic, fashion. Went to some, you know went to visit St Martin's, and then you know actually ended up going to study languages. And you know, I I suppose I transitioned into a point where I was using my sort of very specific creative skills kind of on the side, as opposed to the main thing I Mm -hmm. was doing. So whether that be being creative director for, you know, magazine, at the university, or, you know, doing freelance graphic design work, you know, I always kind of kept the creative side going, but it, it kind of was, you know, a a side gig. And yeah, and then basically, you know, became fascinated with business, realized that, you know, one day I'd love to work closely, you know, either on my own business or with entrepreneurs. And that's why I went into finance. I figured that it would be good for me to learn a bit about the, the mechanics behind the scenes. You know, I felt like I had a lot of the creative drive, but I didn't really know How to, you know, run the numbers, understand how a spreadsheet works. So I went off and ended up spending five years in finance. And from there, went to go and work in some startups, worked for company called Glossier, which is a cosmetics company, uh, an e-commerce company called Zalora. And yeah, I mean, back in the day, I'd interned at Vogue. So I, I basically did you know a whole bunch of, I guess, either startups or works adjacent to creative industries and and then ended up uh, working for Suite, which is my current role. And we basically look to invest in the next generation of entrepreneurs who are either building a tech startup or something in the consumer space.
0: Great. You have like a, you have a very broad spectrum of, <laughs> um, of experience, which is, which yeah. is really, really cool. And I think, um, it's, it's interesting that you said that you wanted to get that better business understanding. Cause I feel like there's a lot of creatives in the current space that they go straight into, you know, turning their creativity into a business and don't necessarily have that understanding and then have to go through all those hiccups and challenges that come mm-hmm. with that. So I think it's uh, you've clearly got a very like unique oversight on what it takes for a, an entrepreneur to develop a business, hmm. and with the varied experience that you have, would you draw any parallels between, you know, the more traditional creative slash artist and you know the the new gen of entrepreneurs and the way that they're doing business and the reasons they're doing business?
1: Definitely, and. Yeah, you kind of took what I wanted to say initially, which is that I think you know we've got, (laughs) in the sense of defining what creative means, you know, and I think for the purpose of this, I talk about creative as, you know, literally artist, photographer, illustrator, designer. Of Mm -hmm. course, you know, you can be creative and how you think and how you problem solve, but I think you know what's really interesting for me is where the more traditional interpretation of you know being a creative meets entrepreneurship and i think there are a few definite overlaps i'd say the first one is just being capable in a very practical sense and I guess I can use my own example. You know, growing up, I would be using, you know, the whole Adobe Creative Suite for my school projects. I'd be designing stickers when I was a child. And, and you know, you know, later on when I was going off and doing an MBA, I was sitting there in a Harvard classroom with all these people who'd come from just a pure financial background. And I was in a startup class and someone said, OK, well, we need to mock up an app. And so I was like, okay. And so I just like whipped out my laptop and quickly put together some wireframes. And I remember everyone just turned to me and were like, oh, yeah. they were like, How did you do that? And I was like,
0: what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, like
1: this is this is like what I grew up doing, you know, like that's what my childhood was. That's what how like my student life was 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 being creative on the side and like, you know, designing stuff for people. I think that really brought it home to me because I realized that actually a lot of the practical being scrappy creative skills that you know creatives have by definition are actually really useful when you're in a startup you know to be able to turn someone and say okay but can you just quickly mock something together or can you put something for a pitch deck you know being able to help others visualize a product is a really core skill that actually you know people who've only come from a financial background sort of actually like oh my god I don't even know how I don't even know how to begin to put together a mood mood board or something yeah so I say that's the first one and then I'd say the second one which I'd almost say is more important is being visionary and I think you know whether you're creating as an artist like a new installation or an exhibition or if you're an entrepreneur and you're creating a new business you actually need to have the same degree of just being quite visionary and the idea that, you know, I'm going to innovate and I'm going to create something that is just really true to my passion and that it's something that no one has ever done before. Um, and that yes. ability to kind of think big, again, whether it's like an exhibition or whether it's a company, is very similar, I think, as to whether you're, you know, quote, unquote, a traditional artist or whether you are an entrepreneur. And I think like the one bit that sometimes I see, at least in my conversations with creatives, where they feel a bit more friction is in this idea of being quite commercial. And I remember, you know, yeah, we did an event a while back where I invited a whole bunch of creatives who are now full-time entrepreneurs. And I said, you know, what, what was the friction? And they said, well, it's this idea of creating art for commercial gain, or like making money from it, because yeah, right. you know you want to create something because you're passionate about it, and I think the assumption is that a lot of entrepreneurs are in it for the money, or they're doing it because yeah. they think that they can yeah essentially become rich by building a company instead of doing what they 're passionate about. but actually, I think that some of the best entrepreneurs are actually not doing it explicitly for the money they're doing it because there is something that they 're so passionate about. Or a problem that they just they just have to solve, or a solution that they 've gotten in mm-hmm. their mind, which is so much better than what's out there, that they're willing to spend hours and hours on making that a reality, and I think that is not that different from being an artist and you know having the confidence to go out and do something that no one has done before and be judged for it so I'd actually really encourage you know artists to. To really back themselves and realize that actually, you know, yes, you can go out and learn, you know, whether it's like the finances or how you do accounting, all of that stuff you can get help on. But the fundamental mindset of going out there, putting yourself out there and creating something new and visionary is actually the same.
0: I completely agree. That was, that was very well put. I think as well, it speaks to that traditional argument that that people often have with what is deemed to be selling out. I think a lot mm. of creatives have that in the back of their head, where they think, you know, they they may have a specific vision that they're they're looking to, but yeah. then there's also potential for them to, you know, generate revenue. And if they try and cross those two wires, then they're seen as as selling out. Yeah. Which I think now we've, we've seen quite a big change in that in the way that like the creator economy is working, that people have the facilities now to really sort of be their own bosses. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if you thought that multifacetedness that you touched on before, having those, you know, hobbies and like passion skills in the background is something that you're seeing a lot more now in this like, you know, new wave of entrepreneurs and these new businesses that are that are, that are starting up. You're seeing that more in the founders and the people that are working within those businesses that they have all of these additional skills yeah, and, totally. you know, they're able to combine the passion and the forward vision.
1: Totally. I think that it's exactly what you said, which is that the vision to create Is fundamentally the same, whether you're an artist or an entrepreneur. And I think what we've seen more recently is this, the function of technology has really helped people get paid for what they're passionate about doing in a way that never was really as easy or as seamless in that now because of technology, you are able to disintermediate the barrier between you as a creator and your consumer or your user, or your, you know, your customer. And I think that we've seen it, you know, in a few different ways. I think there is this idea that we've gone from what's called like the gig economy, to like the passion economy, a friend of mine wrote that, and I think it's pretty catchy. So I like to talk about it. So initially, there was, (laughs) you know, technology came in, and it was like, Oh, amazing, you can go get paid in your spare time but the work you're going to be doing is like not that creative. It's stuff like, you know, you can go and be an Uber driver. (laughs) You can go and like deliver, but you can get paid and that will help you, you know, support what you're really passionate about on the side. And I think what's happened in recent years is that we've actually gone from what I call the gig economy, which is, you know, part-time work, but it's not that interesting part-time work to a point where you're now able to actually bring your unique or creative skill and get paid for that through, you know, platforms like a Patreon or, you know, more specific, I guess, industry verticals. So, you know, I use the example, my sister, she's a pastry chef and, until the last year, her whole life had been working in and out of kitchens, working for amazing chefs. But the grind was real. You know, it's like going in and doing a night shift, putting whatever it is across on, and getting them out by seven a.m. <laughs> um, yeah. And and during lockdown, she set up a online pastry school, and all of a sudden, she was she realised that she was able to be doing exactly what she loved, which was. You know, making pastries, baking, creating, being a chef. And she built a following of people that were subscribing to her lessons that wanted to learn from her, that she could spend her hours teaching, baking and make a living from it. And I think that that is what we're starting to see across a whole bunch of different industries in a way that wasn't really possible. And I I do think, like, you know, the pandemic has expedited people's willingness to really Pay for great educational content at home, you know, whether it's a fitness class, whether it's, you know, learning something or a skill that you've always thought about doing, but you've never got around to. And I think that that has also created a huge surge of demand for some of these products and services. And also, you know, just to say what you said about selling out before, I think the difference between, I I think it's dangerous for creatives to feel like they're selling out because Traditionally, a lot of really, really fantastic creatives have meant that that that's meant that they are underpaid or they haven't felt confident to yeah, you know yes. to go out and and ask, you know, a fair price for their artwork or, you know, because they don't want to be perceived as being a selling out or being commercial. And I think hopefully now, I mean, at least in the way that I've seen I guess technology help democratize access to some of these, you know, underlying creatives. Like, I, I, I'm hoping that's less of a trade off now, because you can be really passionate and do what you want to do, but also not feel bad about charging people for it. And I think that's really important because I do think that traditionally a lot of creatives have just, you know, there's this been this kind of assumption that you're willing to be paid less because you're doing something you're passionate about. And ideally, you shouldn't have to make that trade-off. You should be able to do something you love and get paid well for it.
0: Without a doubt. I completely, completely agree. I think it was really interesting as well that you you mentioned Patreon. Mm. And you've seen, I think especially over the past year as a result of the pandemic, a lot of creators moving from having to have their work put through a platform for example like a lot of podcasters that were having deals Mm. with spotify then breaking off to be able to do something a bit more independently and utilizing platforms like patreon to you know make that feasible and i wondered if you know from from the the business side of things is that something you're seeing more where people are less they're they're less likely to like relinquish their ownership on something that they've Mm. created and, you know, taking a more independent route and like, you know, maintaining equity and and things like that, as opposed to having to, you know, go to someone bigger to facilitate that for them.
1: Definitely. I think we're at this amazing transition away from a typical agency model, and technology has been the shift to facilitate that. So again, I, I talk about this disintermediation of The barriers between a creator and their consumer. Because I think traditionally, a lot of creatives, as you said, would, you know, either go through an agency or through a larger, let's just call it an agency who would then basically take a cut, and then portion it out to, you know, whoever their end consumer is. I think with technology, it's enabled more and more creators to just go direct to consumer. You know, I I was joking with a journalist yesterday, like we had In consumer products, there was this whole wave of direct consumer products, right? Where you would, you know, Mm -hmm. make a new product and instead of selling in a shop, you would just send it directly to the consumer because you had a Shopify account or you had an online store. And I think what we're seeing now is that start to happen with services, So creative services no longer need to go via a shop, via an agency, they're going more and more direct to consumer. And that to me is a kind of second wave that we're seeing. And, you know, that could be anything from Patreon, as you've said, to uh, Substack, which is a platform for people who are writers, you know, to, to make making a newsletter really, really easy to just go direct to consumers. So I'm feeling really positive about it uh, because I think that it's what it's doing is it's giving power back to the actual creator of you know whatever it is that they're selling. It's it's empowering the artists and not making them so reliant on on the agency on the middleman. Uh, you know that's one of the reasons I, I originally you know got to know Contact and and Ruben was because what I think you guys have done so far already with the modeling industry you know traditionally models were so behest to their agency there was absolutely no way that a model could absolutely. go out and book jobs themselves that just wasn't how the industry worked. and i think that what contact has already proved so far right is that you know why can't we find a more efficient way which helps get the artist paid directly and actually get paid more
0: 100 percent. that's something that's just made me think of in the way that you say that creators are now empowered in the, in the ways that they're able to put their you know product and ideas out something that we're obviously very passionate about at contact is also empowering the people that we're representative of do you think that those two things go hand in hand that if the creator feels more empowered when creating and distributing a product then the people that are using that and are uh, being catered to are empowered also
1: I just think that it it raises the bar of the quality that that artist or creator is able to do because you, you're owning the relationship with your consumer, you know, instead of, say, take the example of you're an artist and you have to go via, or you're a designer saying you work for an agency, you're not actually oftentimes always seeing that owning that relationship with the end client, right? Like you're part of a bigger machine or you're like something is getting lost along the way. And I think what's really amazing is this creator economy that we're describing is enabling the creators to own their relationships, which of course makes them more money. It empowers them. And I think that the customers also can just really value that and they can feel that the creator is actually, you know, giving them their work directly almost. And, you know, another example is a company that I invested in called The Expert, which is democratizing access to interior designers. So you can go on their platform and book. You know, whoever you are, it doesn't matter if you're well connected or not, you can go in and book a 25 minute session or a one hour session with like a top interior designer. And it's funny, I was listening to one of the founders of that company talk yesterday, and he said, and he's an interior designer, and he said, what he really loves about the platform is the fact that he can just go back to doing what he really loves, which is speaking directly to the consumer. And saying, um, okay, walk me through your problems. Let me help you. Let me just spend this time being really, really creative and not needing to worry about, I suppose, like, how is this going to scale across, like, everyone? It's bringing back that personal relationship in a way that sort of got lost before, I think. And just one other thing I'd say that I think is interesting is that there was this theory a while back that, you know, all creators needed was a thousand fans. And then, you know, recently people have said, okay, well, actually, is it a thousand now? Uh, maybe it's more like a hundred fans because people are, are more and more willing to pay, I think, for kind of authentic connection or that people are willing to pay more if they're getting direct access to the creator, I think. And you're also seeing it in, you know, in tech, like companies like Twitch, where you have people tipping and there are just all these new different ways that are helping the creators get paid directly by the customer that they're, they're serving. And yes, I, so I definitely feel that that's empowering on both sides.
0: Do you think that personability that was, was maybe lost before that, you know, that is coming back around now is a, a core part of what drives a modern business to really grow in an authentic way and make sure that it's, it's reaching the right people on a global scale?
1: I mean, I think it depends on the business. I think if we're talking about a company that's building within this creator economy, then the number one thing you're selling, if you're a creator is whatever unique skill or talent that you have, that people are willing to pay for. And I think just the lower the barriers between you and that end consumer, the better. And so, yeah, I definitely think that, you know, being authentic and, being able to just again own that relationship with the customer really helps um, businesses feel again like authentic and something that people are willing to pay for because at the end of the day we're also trying to help creators get paid more when I think traditionally a lot of that has gone 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 to you know middlemen or agencies and and you know some of the joy of creation has got lost along the way
0: absolutely absolutely agree that's really really good. So, I think I've, I've literally feel like I've learned so much uh, hearing <laughs> hearing your perspective on things. That's That's been really great. So, we have these three questions that we, we ask each of our guests at the end of the podcast. So, the first one is one dream collaboration and why. So, this could be a, a company you'd like to work with or an individual.
1: So, I guess it would be easy for me to pick a company I'd love to work with. But since I do that all the time, I'm going to just <laughs> pick my favorite, one of my favorite just raw creatives. And that is an illustrator called Amber Vittoria. Um, I'm obsessed with all of her work. She has just started moving into both NFTs and paintings, but as at her core an an illustrator and incredibly talented, definitely go check her out uh, on Instagram.
0: We'll make sure that we do. The second one is one piece of advice that you would either offer to yourself or to young creative coming up in the industry right now.
1: I would offer this both to myself and to any creative, and that is as simple as just trust your gut. It can be so confusing sometimes to be influenced by, I mean, there's amazing influences around, but I think what's really important is that you just learn to kind of trust your gut and be confident at putting yourself out there. 100%
0: I completely agree that's really really good and the final question is one goal that you've got set for yourself there's there's no like time limit on this this could be like five years down the (laughs) line or imminent
1: so mine is always to do more painting and drawing it's something that I've always spent time on but as, as I said I've kind of ended up pushing it into my spare time and often that means that I actually don't set aside enough time to actually just sit down and and draw like I love doing portraits just pencil portraits or um or painting and so I I need to get get more disciplined at making more time for it because I find it quite meditative like you know when I'm sitting there and I'm really you know in the face of a portrait then I don't fi- I find that nothing else really matters and time just kind of stops and I love that feeling so I'd say that that is That is the main goal that I constantly have when it comes to me and my creative life.
0: That's great. Being able to just switch off and reconnect. Yeah. That's really nice. Cool. I think that's a really great point for us to end on. And I just want to thank you, of course, for your time and for giving so much insight. I think it's going to be really interesting for everybody to be able to look at the creative industry from a a different angle than what we're used to. So I'm really thankful for that.
1: No worries. And I should just say, I also run a weekly office hours. So, and I love speaking with creatives who are considering doing something more specifically entrepreneurial. So Um, Mm -hmm. I'll send you the link afterwards and, you know, I'm sure you can maybe release it with the podcast episode, but love anyone to sign up and have a chat.
0: Perfect. That'd be amazing. Thank you so much. No worries. You can keep up to date with Pippa via Instagram at Pippa and get to know more about her work at Sweet Capital via sweetcapital.com. At Contact, we're building a platform that empowers creative talent to get more work and makes it easier for those looking for talent to find great people to work with. Currently, our product caters exclusively to models, but over the next year or so, we'll be expanding to welcome photographers, directors, makeup artists and more to get booked through Contact. You can find and book Talent and visit our blog backstage online at contact.xyz. To stay up to date with everything happening at contact follow us on instagram at contact.xyz and contact.models on tiktok at contactxyz and on twitter at contact underscore xyz